You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hello, this is Dr. Penny Chris Etherton, President of the National Lipid Association. I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Alan Brown and presented by the National Lipid Association. Our topic today on Lipid Luminations is genetic testing to improve risk assessment and guide therapies in patients who are at risk for atherosclerosis. Our guest is Dr. Christy Ballantyne, Director of the Center of Cardiovascular Disease Prevention at Methodist DeBakey Heart Center, as well as the Chief of the Section of Cardiovascular Research in the Department of Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine, and now the Chief of Cardiology at Baylor College of Medicine. By the way, you may hear some background noise because we're recording this session at the National Lipid Association's 2011 Annual Scientific Sessions, which this year are held in New York. And Christy, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule here at the meeting to talk with us on this topic of genetic markers. So, Alan, it's great to be here. And it it really is an exciting area if we take a look at, there's so much talk about genomic medicine, uh, genetic testing. And a part of it is because the technology has gotten so much better. So we're able to genotype and sequence, and the, the cost keeps going down. That's the exciting part. And I think in terms of a research tool, it's incredibly exciting. A little more confusing in regards to what do we do with as clinicians. Yeah, so we're always bombarded as people come in representing different laboratories and giving us big lists of testing we can do on genetics. Tell us what is worth thinking about and what is probably not necessary to drive ourselves crazy over. That's a great question. And I think we might start off with our concepts of, for example, diagnosis of a hereditary disorder. That's kind of classical genetics. So somebody comes in, they have a very high cholesterol, they have a family history. You know, what all of us have been doing is we just say, well, it looks like you have familial hypercholesterolemia. We don't really know what the mutation is for this individual. And in some countries, for example, in the Netherlands or in Spain, it's very routine that they'll actually make a genetic diagnosis. And we can do that in the United States. And there's some data that improves it improves awareness and screening. What happens is they'll sequence the LDL receptor gene. And uh, then if that's not there, they'll look at ApoB because we know that defects in either gene can cause this syndrome. And there are some more rare causes like PCSK9. That's one area where it's been slowed up because the problem is right now the cost is pretty high and it's not always reimbursed by insurance. So let me ask you, Christy, I mean, obviously that's something we teach at the master's course and we're all familiar with how those defects lead to high LDL cholesterol in the blood, but how does knowing that information affect the patient's treatment? So this is the argument kind of used by insurance companies in the United States saying, well, look, you have high LDL, what are you going to do? You can use a statin anyway, right? And then once you push that up, you'll see how they respond. If you had a second drug, it's empirical therapy. And it is true. We put people on a drug, you follow up the lipids. If they're not at your target, you keep adding other drugs. That is the tension right now. Now, there are, there are some arguments that screening, once you identify the mutation, you can screen family members, but you can also get a lipid profile in all those family members too. There is some data that the motivation comes higher. Instead of telling someone, well, you have a high cholesterol, it's probably hereditary. If you tell somebody, you have this mutation, you inherited this, and you should screen your family members, there's some data from Europe that screening is better than in this country. But I think we still have to prove that would it really change the therapy and the outcomes, and that data has been lacking. So it might be more in the future for other things where we might be going. You know, we've seen this all the time. You see it in practice they got a low HDL, they have high triglycerides. It's really not quite clear that all those have risk. And we don't know what's causing these things. So I think in the future, maybe there'll be a role 
in terms of understanding why someone has a high triglyceride or low HDL, and it might change the way we treat that patient. But we're not there yet. So, you know, there have been some implications that maybe patients who are going to get a response to statins or not get a response have certain genetic mutations, and that's become more controversial as the data has gotten more muddy on things like KIF-6. And so when you're brought this option to order a whole panel of genetic testing, what's worth thinking about and what's just smoke and mirrors? So one we talked about was diagnosing a specific hereditary disorder. The ones I mentioned were with LDL. That's where we can do that well. Another one that's actually pretty interesting is there's a single nucleotide polymorphism in the gene for ApoA. And it turns out the levels of lipoprotein, little a, are very much determined by the gene that encodes ApoA. And this SNP is associated not only with the level of LPA, but also having an event. So the the data is pretty strong on that. And in our research studies, we've seen that this is really, you know, overall 2% of the population has this SNP. If you have an LPA over 30, it was 30%. Over 40, it was 40%. So we know that this is really very enriched if you have a high LPA. Now, I know what your next question is going to be. Well, Christy, why don't you just measure LP little a? And that is actually, you know, you do that and I do that. And so if you're measuring LP little a, do you get anything extra by the getting the genetic test? And the data suggests that you don't for it. I think there is the question of how we measure LPA, and that's kind of a different issue. But at least that test really does predict risk, and it's shown, and I think it's not unreasonable. And once again, it kind of depends if people want to know what they have. There are other tests that predict risk. This is, came out of there, these really interesting studies called GWAS studies, so genome-wide association studies. And this is where the technology is so fascinating, is that Affymetrix makes this chip that has 1.2 million single nucleotide polymorphisms. So we're the core laboratory for the atherosclerosis risk and community study. 16,000 middle-aged Americans have been followed for 25 years. They've all been genotyped for this chip, plus an Illumina chip, and now the Metabo chip. And you can really look at this huge number of single nucleotide polymorphisms spread out through either genome or also in all these genes of interest. And the one that jumped out was in a genomic region called 9P21. And it's clear that it is associated with increased risk for having cardiovascular events. And we showed that there's maybe some very modest improvement in risk prediction. So that's also available. And you could use it as a risk marker. It's kind of like a, you might get a you know, CIMT or a CRP, so you might say that you get a 9P21. It's not a terribly strong risk marker, and there's a lot of people would say it doesn't really meet the mustard in regards to being good enough, but the data is very clear that it does increase your risk. And I think the data is emerging that you might be able to get a panel of markers that maybe four or five or six of them that you might be able to use as additional data for risk assessment. That's both for heart disease and for diabetes. I still think it's a little early in regards to where we go with that. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Lipid Illuminations on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Brown, and joining me to discuss genetic testing, the clinical utility, and hopefully a little bit about what the future is of using genetics for guiding therapy is Dr. Christy Ballantyne, who's the director of the Center for Cardiovascular Disease Prevention at Methodist DeBakey Heart Center, as well as the chief of the section of cardiovascular research in the Department of Medicine, and currently the chief of cardiology at Baylor. So, Christy, as a scientist, we get excited about, you know, trying to be able to open up the secrets of the genome, 
maybe figure out things where we might otherwise not be able to identify. You gave several examples like LP little A where maybe we could just get that level or looking at other risk factors and maybe not adding a lot. But it certainly is intriguing to think that someday we may be able to identify a patient's individual risk based on an examination of their genome. So if I were going to ask you in a few minutes that we have left to talk a little bit about what you think the future of this whole field is, knowing some of the pitfalls today, where, well, where do you think there, we're going? There are some pitfalls, and like we talked about risk assessment, what about response to therapy? And a lot of excitement about KIF-6 initially, but now we've had two negative, very large studies, heart protection and Jupiter, and it looks to me like it's probably not worth ordering, determining about, you know, are they going to respond to a statin or not? APOE genotype. Maybe some issues in terms of diet, but clearly for Alzheimer's. But once again, we don't have a way to prevent Alzheimer's, so not so a big who wants use. To know? Yeah, so who wants to know? Now, what's on the horizon is sequencing all your exons or full genome sequencing. And in fact, you can already do it commercially now. The question that comes up is you can get a test, but is it going to help you as a physician? And would you be able to understand and guide that patient as to what to do with the information? At least I know I wouldn't right now because I don't think we have the data as to what to do with this. And it's it likely to cause lots of anxiety because we're going to see, you know, this. So I think it's an area of evolution. The technology is moving fast. And I think that in the future that what will happen is, you know, we see these people who have heart disease or they have bad lipid disorders. You know, and I think where the future might be is that we may end up, particularly with family histories, we'll be able to know did they inherit it or not. You know, I can think of an example, you know, a young man, well, young, now that I'm, relatively young, younger than me, but his dad died in his 40s. He's in his 40s. He comes in and says, well, you know, what's my risk? Lipids look good. Blood pressure's a little borderline, 135. We do a coronary calcium score. It's 1,000. He certainly inherited what killed his dad. I don't know what it is. I think, you know, five years from now, we'll be able to know what that is, I think. And, you know, so that's where some of this will be very exciting. Will that tell us how to treat him? I'm not sure. I mean, right now it's blood pressure and lipids. So does a stress test, hypertensive response, treat him with an ACE and put him on a statin and an aspirin. I mean, so you might have said, well, Chris, you could have done that without any of the... So and that's where right now there's a lot of promise. In terms of our actual practice, if you're not ordering these tests, you can practice high-quality, great medicine without any of this information. I'm hopeful that in the future we'll really allow us to personalize medical therapy. But I don't think we're quite there yet. I think we're getting there. And in certain individuals, it might be worth doing it. I think a lot of people are motivated and they're interested. You know, I've had all these tests. I've had a CIMT and a coronary calcium score and genetic testing and all the lipid testing because I've got a terrible family history. And, you know, I'm probably going to die from cardiovascular disease or cancer, and I like to try to prevent it. So to me, it's reasonable to get the information. But uh, we're really early in terms of evidence, in terms of what to do with it. So this is the interesting dilemma in everything we do. You know, we have all these risk factors that we can look at large populations. And all of us who are actually treating individual patients are trying to find ways to not look at what's your risk compared to a 1,000 people like you, but what's your risk as an individual? What's Mr. Jones' risk? And occasionally, as you pointed out, we find people that have disease, and we can't figure out why. They always say that about 98% of people can be identified by the traditional risk factors, but you and I both see that 2%, and we struggle with it, right? We wonder there must be some disease going on that we don't know about, rampant atherosclerosis in the family without a lot of traditional risk factors. It's encouraging that you think maybe this will be a step in the right direction, and I'm hoping that our audience will also remember that lipids aren't the only thing and genetic markers aren't the only thing. 
got to deal with what you eat and smoking and blood pressure and all these other issues. Do you agree with that? Uh, absolutely. So, you know, I think it ends up as with a lot of exciting science here. Stay tuned. But right now, keep your eye on the ball. I mean, we know it's still going to be diet, exercise, smoking cessation, blood pressure, knock the LDL down. I mean, those are the things that really give the big bang right now. But this is an exciting area for the future. Christy, we've talked about, you know, these kind of new things looking at mutations in the genome and trying to identify cardiovascular risk. But you and I both deal with clear-cut genetic lipid disorders, and sometimes it's a little confusing. Do you order genetic testing, for example, to identify people who have type 3, or do you make a clinical diagnosis? What types of hereditary lipid disorders would you think it's worthwhile to send off a genetic test? So I think that in addition to things that are, where we think they have FH, where you suspect a type 3, it's very reasonable to get an APOE genotype. It's a relatively straightforward, inexpensive test. And so as we know, the two twos, and sometimes if they have a two and something else, there could still be something screwed up in the other allele there. So I think that's also a useful test to get. And does that add something beyond what you might do clinically? Because obviously if they got an equal triglyceride and cholesterol and orange palmacresis, then you got a type 3. The bottom line ends up being is that, and that's the other issue, just like with LDL receptor mutations, we're going to treat them the same way. If you suspect it's a type 3, once again, you're going to frequently use a statin plus something else to really optimally control the lipoprotein abnormalities. And that's one of the arguments in terms of that's why these tests haven't become mainstream. And there's also some reimbursement issues because the insurers will logically say, well, do you have to have that test? And maybe the money should be spent on something else. So many times our colleagues order a whole barrage of very, very intriguing tests with lots and lots of information. And what they end up with is lots of information. And the bottom line, as you're saying, is go back to understanding the disease processes, examine, when in doubt, examine the patient. And until we get a little bit better at knowing which patient population we should all order these tests on, watchful waiting. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, well, thank you very much, Christy. I think that uh, we always tell her colleagues that while they're laying in bed at night wondering what to do with LP little a, don't forget to measure the blood pressure. Don't forget to get a lipid profile. Make sure every patient that comes through with diabetes is treated and all these other things. So I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Christy Ballantyne, the director for the Center of Cardiovascular Disease Prevention at the Methodist DeBakey Heart Center, as well as the chief of the section of cardiovascular research in the Department of Medicine at Baylor College of Medicine. And Christy recently became the chair of cardiology. Congratulations on that, by the way. Thanks very much, Christy, thank for you, sharing your insights on this exciting topic, but not quite ready for prime time. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, visit www.lipid.org.